1: It just started raining, beautiful Suva
2: weather. (laughs) Beautiful
1: weather. When people think about island countries like Fiji, they picture these kind of postcard paradises with white sand beaches and crystal clear blue water.
2: So what we're gonna do now is uh, just have to talk to them or you're gonna buy some?
1: I'll talk to them and and see what they've got. But in August, I travelled to Fiji's capital Suva and witnessed a much darker side of Fiji. This is where thousands of the city's poorest people live in these kind of makeshift homes, uh, lean-tos and corrugated iron shacks that are just stacked on top of each other and run all the way up the hillside. And we're just on our way to meet a meth dealer. Uh, I'm told that this is one of the biggest meth hotspots, not only in Suva, but in Fiji overall. We're just going to meet this guy, see what he's got. Just get some insight into how easy it is to find and buy meth in this city. In the past five years, meth has flooded into Fiji's urban centres, with a growing number of locals now cooking the drug in-country and selling it on the streets. The heavy and fast influx of meth has already started to irreversibly affect the lives of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I wanted to find some of the people who are really living at the front line of this crisis. Hear their stories and document the ways in which Fijians are becoming collateral damage in the global drug trade.
0: I'm Janice Yamolka,
1: And I'm Gavin Butler, senior reporter at Vice World News.
0: This is Vice News Reports. So Gavin, can you situate me a bit and talk about the Fiji that the rest of the world might traditionally know?
1: Yeah, so I've reported on Fiji and issues in and around Fiji for the past four years. And to anyone outside of Fiji, it definitely does have this reputation as a kind of sun-kissed paradise with like palm trees and white sandy beaches and clear blue lagoons. In many ways, that really is what it's like, actually. The country is an archipelago of more than 300 islands, and it's not really that hard to go and find those kind of postcard-perfect locations. But to put things in perspective, the nation as a whole has a population of a little over 900,000 people, and more than 95% of those live on its two main islands, which are Vidilevu and Vanualevu. Levu. Tourism is a major pillar in Fiji's economy, but most of the people who come here to holiday typically head straight out to the island resorts. And that is fairly different to, I think, what a lot of Fijians would consider the authentic local experience.
0: And how did the past few years, I'm talking specifically about COVID and 2020, how did it affect tourism in Fiji?
1: In a big way. I mean, Fiji, as I said, it's, its its economy is so built up upon this reliance on tourism, and obviously when COVID hit, a lot of international borders closed, international tourism ground to a standstill, and that had a huge impact on Fiji's economy. It was actually one of the worst hit economies in the world in 2020. A lot of people lost their jobs. And so you had all these really vulnerable people who overnight found themselves in destitution, kind of living out on the street, and what we're seeing significantly is a rise in drug crime. I wanted to get a sense for how widespread meth has become in Fiji, and I figured who better to show it to me than someone who spends every day and night in the thick of it. Uh,
2: you from Australia, sir?
1: I am, yeah. Oh, who's here, he, Aussie. He? Hey. This is Josh, my taxi driver, <laughs> who was showing me around and showing me what the meth trade in Fiji looks like. You been?
2: I've never been there, sir. So. Only driving here uh, 30 years now, driving taxi 30 years. I've never been away from the country, so. mm-hmm. I'd like to go away, but I don't have that much money.
1: Josh wore a gold watch and a baker's cap, and he struck me as a really sweet and gentle guy. So tell me a
2: bit about yourself. Uh, how old are you right now? Oh, the, uh, I'm uh, 57 right now. You're 57? <laughs> Do I look like 57? So. You look young. You oh, look, you look you very youthful. You, thank you for saying that, sir. So, down to the city, yeah? so where are we on our way to right now? Uh, right down to the city. Uh, city of Suba. Suba is the capital city, sir. And?
0: What exactly is Josh's relationship to the current local drug trade?
1: And so, how do you and the dealers know each other so well? They give me some commission for getting the customers. Josh makes extra cash by driving people who are looking for drugs, specifically meth, and taking them to the dealers who are selling. Oh, really? Yeah. You find them customers, Sometimes, them
2: eh? When I bring them customers, they give me a commission for that too.
1: He's lived in Fiji his whole life and he's watched the country sort of transform. Uh, he told me he's sad about what drugs are doing to his home just like everyone else, he has to make a living. How much commission do you usually make? Uh,
2: maybe like $50, if they get like a $200, $300, I get a $50 note
1: I mean, it's not like he is directly making a lot of money, but an extra 50 Fijian dollars, which works out to be about 20 US dollars, does help. And he really isn't the only one. Taxi drivers like Josh, who can connect you to drugs, are pretty common in Fiji
0: it seems like the whole local meth trade isn't exactly hiding in the shadows. So I'm wondering, how did meth become a problem for Fiji? How did it all start?
1: So the first thing that we need to think about is Fiji's location. If you look at Fiji on a map, it sits right in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean and right in the bullseye of this triangle between different countries and regions. So At one point, you have Latin America, which is obviously the biggest exporter of cocaine globally, but it's also becoming one of the world's biggest exporters of meth. At another point, you have East Asia, which is currently one of the world's biggest exporters of meth. And then you have Australia and New Zealand, which are actually some of the world's highest-paying markets for both cocaine and meth. This drug corridor is one of the most lucrative in the world. It's been around for a while, but in the past, Fiji was pretty much only used as a stop-off destination along the route. So, you know, people coming from Latin America or coming down from East Asia would stop off in Fiji and transfer some cocaine or meth onto a yacht or a sailing boat or something similar.
0: Got it. So when did Fiji become a full-on destination for meth?
1: The exact moment when meth got introduced into Fiji in the first place is hard to pinpoint, but a lot of the people that I spoke to on the ground said it was through the deportation policies of countries like Australia, New Zealand, and the US. They have, over the past 20 years, essentially shipped thousands of convicted criminals back to their countries of citizenship in the South Pacific. So what you then get is this massive influx of convicted criminals arriving without any social support or in a lot of cases, employment prospects, but what they do have is connections back overseas and an understanding of how the drug trade works. So, naturally, they start setting up a local operation. It's important to note that cocaine hasn't really gained a toehold in Fiji. Uh, It's too expensive for most people. Meth, on the other hand, which a lot of locals actually refer to as ice, is much, much cheaper. Yeah,
2: I didn't want to get into those.
1: Yeah, Who's buying most of the drugs? Is it tourists? Is it locals?
2: Uh, just the locals. Sir.
1: It's um, just the locals. Tourists,
2: yeah, just the locals are buying drugs over here. And uh, a very few tourists come around and meet them.
1: Josh told me that it's the locals in Fiji who are the main ones buying and selling meth. Locals are using it. And who's mostly selling it?
2: It's our Fijians.
1: Fijians as well.
2: Uh, trying to make some money for their living, you see. How mm. wait, we go up this way? I'll show you, please.
1: Sure. Okay. He took me up a side street to a bus shelter where there were maybe three or four sex workers standing around. As they saw the taxi, they approached the car and started talking to us. Hi. Hi Bulavanaka. Bula
3: how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. good. How's the good. night rolling?
1: The night's going good. Mm-hmm. How's the night rolling for you girls? Uh, not
3: much, not that much, managing.
1: Yeah? Mm-hmm. Standard mm-hmm. Saturday night? Yes, <laughs>
3: So, where are you guys going to? But We're just cruising around. <coughs> just cruising?
1: Yeah. Do you, uh, do you know where we can go where people would be selling ice? Drugs and sex in Fiji are really hand in glove a lot of the time. Yes, yes.
3: I can take you guys.
1: Where would we need to go in Suva to get that? No,
3: you cannot just go like that. <coughs> so Why not? You have to know the person if you want to buy
1: it. Really? <coughs> yeah.
3: You have to take somebody that knows the driver.
1: So often you'll get someone who is looking to buy drugs, who is then a potential client for a sex worker, or vice versa, you'll get someone who is a client for a sex worker who will then be sold drugs on the side. I don't know what the exact situation of the sex workers I met was, but drugs and sex are very interwoven business models. Okay, we might come back. Really? Yeah, yeah, we're just gonna cruise around for a bit and we'll come back. And- Can I have something? Manaka. Can I come? Okay,
0: at this point, Josh, the taxi driver, and the sex workers you spoke with have all offered to take you to find some meth. It sounds really easy to find.
1: Yeah, it was so easy. And it clearly wasn't just one person selling either. It seemed as though the meth dealer and the way you get meth could be completely different depending on who you ask. Yeah, so that girl was saying that we couldn't just go up to that woman by ourselves. Uh, And she seemed pretty confident that you would be able to hook us up. After driving around with Josh for a while, I literally just put it to him and said, "So, can you take us to a person who sells math?" "All right, sir. You want to go right now?" "Yes." Yeah. Yeah.
0: "That's after the break." It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax. So Gavin, you went to Suva to report on Fiji's meth crisis. After your taxi driver Josh says yes to connecting you with a meth dealer, where do you all go from there?
1: Josh takes me from the city center out to one of these settlements, which I'm told is really the biggest hotspot for methamphetamine, not only in Suva, but all of Fiji. Why is this such a good place to get meth?
2: Well, I guess uh, it's close to the city, yeah?
1: You don't have to go too far.
2: Don't have to go too far.
1: (laughs) So, we pull off the paved main road and onto this very bumpy, rocky dirt road, which takes us a few hundred meters past, like, vacant lots and makeshift homes. There's tall grass and palm trees and a few houses, but no one really around. And suddenly the road just comes to a dead end. So we're just coming up Maybe to a cul de sac now. These are the guys.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Glad, yeah.
1: This guy came out of one of the houses. He's a skinny guy with wide, bloodshot eyes, and he approached the car. He got in the back seat, and then we got talking. So you have Matt? You're selling.
2: We're
1: selling about everything. Yeah, some money, everything,
2: something. Yeah, what have you got? What do you like? green,
1: white, everything. He said he was selling green, which is weed, uh, white, which is ice or meth or just everything. Can we see the white? Can we see some of the white? No, you
2: can't see it. You have to buy. Mm. Just see.
1: Yeah. How much are you selling?
2: Well, it's fifty, hundred,
1: up, something. How much for a fifty? It's a, small baguette, it? it's a small bag. Yeah. And what about 100? He leaned forward and showed me these small zip closed bags with different amounts of meth. For 50 Fijian dollars, which is about 20 US dollars, I could have gotten about a tenth of a gram. 50 is on top. This is 100. So, just a small line of meth at the bottom yeah, of the 50 yeah, right. bag. $100. About a third of a bag in 100. So, What's your most common sale? What do you sell most of?
2: Well, people prefer white more than green. This time, you know? They spend a yeah, little that's what green. I heard, green. Eh? You know, they, they prefer green is, uh, white more than green. Yeah?
1: yeah. Do you See, get much trouble from the police?
2: Not really. Business is good. No trouble,
1: eh? Hmm. If the police come here, is it as easy as just throwing them some money and they leave you alone?
2: Some, not all, eh? It's
1: money, money talks.
2: Money talks, Yeah, Because everybody's looking for money. Mm.
1: The dealer told me that these days he sells meth way more than weed. And that in this business here in Fiji, money talks. Even for the police. So you do this just to put food on the table? Yes, I mean, uh, yeah. Rather than going stealing or breaking it's much
2: better to sell drugs nowadays, you know? much easier,
1: eh? Obviously, as a journalist, I did not buy meth from this guy. But that exchange showed how easy it is to get your hands on hard drugs in Fiji if you're just willing to ask the question. It took us five minutes to get there and Josh told me buyers are usually in and out in less than 10. So you're looking at a 20 minute round trip if you're in the center of the city and you want some meth.
0: Wow, that sounds easy and relatively fast. So with meth being so accessible, what kind of toll has the meth trade had on Fiji so far? So,
1: crime is rising, drug-associated domestic violence has spiked, intravenous meth use is becoming more of a trend, which could be connected to the huge increase in the number of HIV cases in Fiji. And the country's only psychiatric hospital, St Giles, is reporting a major uptick in the number of people who are now presenting with substance misuse and mental health issues.
3: I've lived through it. I've come out of it. And I've seen how it just destroyed my husband.
1: This is Eleanor, who I'm calling by a different name for safety reasons. She's a local who currently lives in the outer suburbs of Suva, but grew up on one of the smaller islands.
3: Fiji, it's probably the best place, especially in the, the rural setting that I had, in the island setting that I had. It's probably one of the best places to grow up in. You know, you just felt like you have everything that you need.
1: Eleanor really embodies this sense of calm, but then when you get speaking to her, you find out that she has actually had a fairly intense lived experience of Fiji's drug trade. Her husband actually both sold and used meth, and by the sounds of things, he catered to some pretty serious clients.
3: It was towards the end of 2016, at the beginning of 2017, when all of a sudden he could afford this and that for the kids, you know, taking them out to McDonald's and places like that, that I knew he couldn't afford. Um, so I would think that's when he started, you know, earning from these trades. It was also during that time he, he started to get abusive, verbally, physically as well. There was a few attempts in my life during that time. And most of it was when he'd come back from his trading trips.
1: Eleanor told me that while her husband was high on meth, he would storm into her room late at night with theories that she was cheating on him.
3: And it got so bad, I just couldn't sleep at all. Come back from work, pick the kids, attend to homework and all of that. And just when the kids are in bed, I have do the laundry, I do all of that. And then just when I'm done, I just be sleeping for one or two hours when he'll get in. And then the exertions and everything starts. He'll wake me up. Who's this guy? Sometimes with a chopper to my neck. <laughs> um, well, I talk about it with ease now, it's just, used to be
1: very um, traumatic for me. You would hold a knife to your throat?
3: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll wake up because of the coldness of the, the blade itself.
1: I think what Eleanor's story really shows in visceral detail is how badly things can get out of hand when someone you know becomes so heavily involved with a drug like meth. Drug-related domestic violence is a symptom of the local meth trade, and it keeps rising in Fiji. Eleanor eventually had to leave because if she had stayed with him, she felt that she would have lost her life.
0: What could she have done to get help? I mean, did she have any resources available to her?
1: Well, this is the thing. There doesn't seem to be a lot of action or really even urgency from the authorities. Eleanor told me that she filed multiple police reports.
3: Yeah, I remember going into the Dokane Silver police post. The guy seemed friendly until I mentioned uh, my husband's involvement in drugs. And he he kind of gave me a counseling session that tried to persuade me not to report. He told me things about you know he's not working that is now you guys source of income why don't you just support him you know i would i would do that too if i was in his uh, place so i was like oh my gosh are you for real
1: every time that she would go to the police and complain about her husband's use or his possession of drugs those reports were never acted upon so she is one person who has certainly lost all faith in police And this is something that I definitely felt on the ground in Fiji with almost everyone that I spoke to. They don't believe in the police anymore. They don't believe in the authorities or the government's ability to address this issue and take care of it. Because over the past 10 or 15 years, they've seen it continue to spiral out of hand with what seems like little to no real action from above.
3: Yeah, May of 2019 was when he um, got remanded in custody and that was for, I think, two months.
1: Why was he remanded?
3: From one of the reports.
1: A drug Uh, report or a...
3: Not really. From domestic violence report.
1: So, Eleanor told me her husband was eventually placed in custody due to a domestic violence report she filed. She also said that she filed more than five drug reports in the span of a year that were never acted upon. So... There's a fairly clear kind of delineation there and what the police consider an urgent issue that is worthy of addressing.
0: So if the police seem to not do anything about it, and as the meth crisis keeps growing, are officials or the government doing anything about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I made multiple attempts while I was in Fiji to contact the relevant officials and sit down with members of the Fiji Narcotics Bureau or police and talk to them about this. But I never got a direct statement or answers to any of my questions, so it is hard to get a real understanding of what they're doing. They are aware of it, it's not that they don't know what's happening or that they're not doing anything about it, but the prevailing sentiment among those I spoke to on the ground was that they're not doing enough, and that historically they haven't done nearly enough to tackle this in a meaningful way. People like Eleanor, who flagged this five or ten years ago, are now looking around, wondering why things seem to be getting worse, not better.
3: I just feel this thing is it's quite deep into um, the whole system, and it's probably so because of the level of poverty that we have. The rise in unemployment, people resort to these things to try and sustain themselves.
1: Authorities will occasionally come out and acknowledge the fact that drugs have become a problem in Fiji, but rarely in a way that seems to fully capture the seriousness of the issue or the actual extent to which those drugs have saturated just all levels of society. And actually, shortly after we published our investigation in mid-September, one politician, Pio Tikaduadua, He's the president of one of Fiji's main political parties, the National Federation Party. He released a statement saying our report basically proved that the use of hard drugs has spiralled out of control. And he went on to suggest that our reporting showed the issue is now, as he put it, a far bigger disaster than climate change. And that's big. It's not often that you get someone in that kind of position publicly acknowledging the scale of this issue and essentially the fact that they're losing the war on drugs. But of course, as we've heard, it's mainly local Fijians who are being impacted by this. It's mostly contained to the urban centers and the tourist trail of Fiji, that postcard paradise that the rest of the world sees, hasn't really been touched by it yet. It's very much a local crisis, hyper-local. And so maybe the government has bigger priorities.
0: We've heard how the meth crisis has really affected people on a personal level. And on a national level, I can imagine tourism is still a really big part of Fiji's economy. So how has the spike in crime and meth and the growing meth crisis, how has it affected tourism currently? Is it a paradise lost or is it too early to tell?
1: I think it's too early to tell. I mean, as I said, I saw almost no tourists during my time there. Again, I wasn't really hanging around in the touristy areas, but That's the thing. People can touch down in Fiji, hop on a boat, and go straight to the island resorts. And because of that, not many people actually know about this crisis that Fiji is going through. That could be why the government seems so reluctant to publicly acknowledge how much of an impact drugs are having on Fiji. I mean, they've got a global image to protect, right? That marketing and that brand as this kind of pristine paradise is very, very valuable to them. And the idea that there is this deeply entrenched and worsening drug crisis. Does torpedo that in a fairly big way. But that is a problem. Because at the end of the day, if the government and police and officials are going to take that position, it's the transnational drug syndicates who benefit from that. And it's Fijians who suffer.
2: The way I look at it, there's no solution, uh, to be honest. uh, It's going to keep on going. The crime and all these bad things happening is going to keep on rising. It's going to keep on rising, yeah.
0: Thank you, Gavin, for joining us and all your great reporting.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great.
0: Planning for your next trip? This story was produced by me, Janice Yamoka, and edited by Stephanie Karayuki. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Cases, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone. Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Karayuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Avilis is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Basulka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Janice Yamoka, filling in for Ariel Duem-Ross. I know podcast hosts say this constantly, but for else please rate and review the podcast. It really helps people find the show. News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.